0: Welcome back, Nod Pod. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin. Today, Nate and I interviewed Joey Rakisitz, and Joey is someone that listens to the show. And the reason I said it like that, Rakisitz, is that I just learned how to say it correctly. I texted him and he just texted me back. So, got it, Joey Rakisitz. Hi, Joey. Thank you for the text. I'm like trying to get this intro out to my editor. Anyways, we interviewed Joey Rakisitz, and he's a member of the Nod Pod. He listens to the show. He's been listening for a long time from towards the beginning and reached out. We had like DM'd us us a few times. Like some of you guys know if you DM us and you like comment on the show, we typically are able to get back to you. So like we'd spoken a little and then at one point he reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to come on the show. You're a huge part of my recovery. Can I come on the show? Sure. So we're talking and I knew a little bit about his story, but not a lot. And it was so great for me to be able to sit down and talk to him because it was so reminiscent for me of my recovery days, my early recovery days, the most fun I had in my early recovery days, which was at my rehab that I went to multiple times that you guys know I've I've talked about a lot on here. And Joey did a lot of time in the California prison system, like a lot of time off and on. And the rehab that I went to was, it was mainly men. There would be like five girls. I'd be one of five girls, the rest men. And that wasn't by design. I think it was just I'm not sure why that is, actually. I should ask Rachel, because she worked there. I don't know why there was only ever a few girls. But anyways, there's just be like five of us, and then all dudes, like 50 men. And most of them were on parole, 85%. And so that means they were on parole, and they'd, like, pee dirty, or they, you know, like, they just re somehow. And rather than sending them back to prison, they let them go to rehab to try to, like, get back on track. Or they paroled sometimes directly from prison to the rehab so that they could assimilate a little bit more slowly. Like... Back into the world, you know, get jobs and go through job training and, you know, help them get their license again, get insurance, that kind of thing. So it was mostly, you know, guys that had spent a lot of time in the California prison system. And there's a whole life and culture to that, like the convict code. And my understanding is that this is pretty similar across the country but i know in california the convict code and like that mentality and that culture is like really strong i remember asking a friend of mine once from that rehab if it would ever change because he was talking to me about like the dynamics and the hierarchy and how it's run like from the inside and that shit is like deep and crazy and i was like would it ever change and he said no It will never change in California. It's way too deep. And he just said it with like such a certainty. He's like, there's no like making a law out of this. There's no governing this at this point. It's just like, it's inmate controlled and that's how it is. I was like, wow, okay. But so when I first was going there I didn't know a whole lot about it. And when I started like meeting, you know, these guys that had done a lot of time, like the culture and the language is like very compelling and appealing, you know? And there's like a code of conduct and there's this sense of loyalty and it's based a lot in chivalry. And so like I'd meet these dudes and they're also, and I don't want to generalize here. I'm sure this isn't always the case, but like for me, this was my experience. They were like the funniest, just like an addict is in the real world that you meet often. These dudes were like the funniest guys funniest, smartest, most charming guys with like the craziest stories and the craziest ways of like telling stories because they'd like work this language in and it was like something you've never heard. And they were just like, it was so funny and entertaining all the time. And it's really probably why I finally got clean because I looked at being clean as such a downgrade in life. I was like, that's no fun. And then I went here and met these guys and I was like, oh no, this is like way more fun than I was ever having, you know? And you guys have heard me talk about Steve, the owner, same kind of thing, he did a lot of time. It just made it look fun, you know? And, and I know it's, it's why I was finally able to make it. But with that lifestyle, The people that are caught up in that lifestyle and connected and in that cycle, their ultimate happiness in life and goal, whatever that may have been at one time, is sacrificed in this hierarchy. And the top of the hierarchy is a cell somewhere. It's not like the guy's personal development, wealth and happiness, you know. So this code that you follow doesn't lead anywhere except a jail cell somewhere else and you're working under this code and so like the loyalty aspect is sold to bring you in as this idea of like a community but your happiness ultimately gets sacrificed and then also obviously a lot of it is tied to not chivalry a lot of it is tied to really painful archaic ideology based in hatred and separation and there's just a lot there but the lifestyle initially can feel very appealing and I was like part of that, like learning that. And and when I see somebody attempt to step away from that and step away from that, it's very hard to do. It's hard to do. It's really hard to break away from that because you're also stuck on that side of the fence in terms of like what you're bringing to the table with a resume, or you lived on that side of the fence for long enough. It's very hard to get to the other side. I actually was in a DUI class once, and the lady said that to me. I was turning thirty, and she was like, "You know, this is a real crossroads for you." Like. The longer you stay on this side of the road the harder it becomes to get to the other side and at that point i of course didn't really believe her because i still have my license it was only suspended for 30 days at that time but that was really true you guys know you know once you're in a position where like you haven't had insurance in a long time or a checking account or whatever it's so hard to get back on the other side and double that for someone that's done like a lot of time and so when i see someone do their best to break out of that that mentality and break out of that culture and decide, like, no, like, I'll have a code of conduct and be ethical, but it's going to be, like, for my good later, like, my gain, like, my personal happiness. It's hard to do, and it's admirable. And, you know, Joey's not a professional speaker. He's an addict sharing his story, and he did great. I think you guys are really going to get so much out of this. Oh, huge trigger warning. At the end of this episode, there is a description of an incident of violence that's, like, you know, pretty graphic, the very end, lasts like five minutes. And then this part ends on a pretty big cliffhanger. So there's this incident of violence, which by his own words was like a tipping point in his addiction. And then we end on a cliffhanger. And then, you know, part two will be next week. I know we've been doing a bunch of two parters lately. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just they have so much good stuff to share. So I want to leave it all in. So trigger warning at the end. And, you know, for someone to want to be authentic and vulnerable who's not a speaker, who didn't write a book that they're publishing, I just think it really commands respect and acknowledgement and joey thank you so much you did a great job so i hope you guys like this one again like i said talking to him just felt so familiar and like really this was my intended original audience was like the people like me who all we knew was like drugs and then just out of drugs and then drugs and then like just out of drugs like that cycle And obviously the show has expanded to include so many more, you know, such a wide range of people, which is great. But like my initial thought was, all right, I'm talking to people like me, the people at Choices that think we're never gonna live any other way, you know? So I'm so honored that he listened to the show and that it resonated with him. You know, that's why I do it. So anyways, I really hope you guys love the show. Please give me your feedback. You guys have seen what I do with it. You know, I screenshot it and post it on Instagram and it really helps kind of spread the word. Oh, hey, also. We are at like 130 or 128 reviews on iTunes and 149 on Spotify. The podcast gets like a thousand downloads the first episode, like right away. So the way I look at it, 880 of you owe me a review. (laughs) So wait, but then you would divide it by two because it's between, I don't know. Anyways, write me a review. (laughs) If you guys haven't written a review yet, let's write one. I would love to start like cracking into the multiples of hundreds, you know? So anyways, okay. Thank you guys so much. I really hope you like this episode. Thank you, Joey. And we'll talk next week. Welcome back, Nodpod. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin. My name is Janine.
1: Hey, guys. Welcome back. My name is Narkin Nate.
0: And we have, so I feel like the best episodes often come when we have a member of our very own Nod Pod reach out, we have a listener reach out and want to be on the show. And that is what we have today. We have a Nodpod longtime listener, Joey. Joey, how are you?
2: I'm well. How are you guys?
0: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for shortening your work schedule to be here. I really appreciate it. I know that that's not something you normally do. So
2: oh, it's, it's worth it.
0: Are we allowed to say that? They're not going to listen, right? Is your boss going to like listen?
2: Oh, they probably are. But they totally know I've been 100% honest with these people from the gate. And so they... They respect my what I need to do.
0: Okay, cool, awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So, I want to start with making it about me. I'm just gonna—I don't, I don't want to do that, but I'm gonna do that. How did you find the podcast in the beginning?
2: I I was um, newly getting clean, and I I'm all over music and Spotify. Like, I listen in my headphones probably ten hours a day to music or whatever. And I I wanted to try something different and. Somebody told me to try, you know, checking out a podcast or two. And, and I typed in heroin and it was boom, right there. And yes, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you, you love this. is that good? Oh, yeah, no, it is. That's fantastic. That's super, it is. Yes, right? that's- that's super cool. Cause like, I, it was cool for me because I had something I could listen to some people that knew my struggle because the people I'm around don't know my struggle. I mean, they know my struggle, but they've never been through it. They can't relate. They're just like, oh, that's cool you know what i mean but then i can listen in and be like oh this is this is where i need to be cuz i i work so much i don't have time for a whole lot of meetings you know what i mean and so your podcast is like my recovery community even though i don't know any of you guys or like know the you know people that you interview or anything like that i still feel like i know i know them because i'm i'm a heroin addict
0: Totally. No, th- it is cool because like when I found that there was HA, when I found there was heroin anonymous, that's how I felt because I feel like there are, and obviously we have people listening that are all sorts of addicts, but like there are all these issues that are really specific to heroin addiction. Like, you know, the whole like harm reduction, like methadone and Suboxone and then like needles. And some of us have Hep C, and then like, can we get on what's the cure now? Maveret? Like that's a conversation. Like it's its whole. And then the, you know, kicking and being sick and just the whole nine, you know, it's definitely like its own thing. So I'm so glad that you found us. Was Nate already the co-host when you started listening?
2: No, he wasn't yet. It was just you by yourself, I think, for a little bit in between like you, uh, Kim. and and, What's her name, right? Kim? Yeah, Kim. Yeah, yeah, it was Kim. It was like in between and when you were doing the Sunday spin thing and all that or whatever. So it was right around then is when I started listening. But I mean, I obviously jumped back and started at the first episode and kept going. I listened to the most recent ones always. I mean, I'm always stoked when Thursday hits. But uh, yeah, no, definitely. Nate wasn't. Well, that makes
0: me so happy.
2: What's good. I um, I
0: love hearing that.
2: You should. It's I love really, hearing that. It's really a great thing. It helps. I'm sure it helps a lot of people. If it helps somebody like me, I'm sure it helps plenty of other people.
0: Totally. So let's talk about you. Where are you from, and how did you get started using?
2: I was born and raised in Palmdale, California. I moved my my family. My my mom and my dad divorced when I was young, and uh, my mom married a a cop from a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department officer. And she moved us to a little town called Tehachapi. So I spent a lot of my time back and forth between my dad's house in Palmdale and my mom's house in Tehachapi, which is 90 miles apart. I started using when I was like about 12, I started smoking weed with my best friend, Nick. We stole his brother's weed and we drank his stepdad's booze and we did the things. And and then after that, so my mom, the guy that my mom was married to was super abusive. He was a cop and so nobody challenged authority. He wore a badge, you know? And so like, he ended up like, you know, being pretty abusive towards me. And then my mom, he, he did some things to my mom, with, you know, broke her neck with a flashlight type thing. And yeah, it was pretty gnarly, man. I didn't find out that that's what happened to her till years later. You know, she always blamed it on it as I'm a lifetime waitress and this is what happens when you waitress your whole life. But then, you know, later on in life, she was like, no, no, he hit me with this mag light type thing. And like, dang, that's crazy, right? So after they divorced, my mom remarried to this guy who was a super great guy. Like I didn't come from, I was well taken care of. I didn't come from poverty. I didn't come from, you know, being poor. Like we always had what we wanted or not what we wanted but we always had what we needed. My yeah. mom remarried this guy. He was super dope. Like he was the head stunt man in Tombstone and White Earp and and the Dead and like all these movies. And so he was never home. And so it was just me and my mom, my sister my little sister, Megan. And uh, it was easy to take advantage of it at that point when you don't have when your mom is working, you know, basically she's a waitress at night. So you got free reign. So um, I started, you know, sneaking out and going and doing things with the guys and drinking and, and smoking weed and a lot more weed at like 13, 14. And then my mom got sick of my shit and kicked me out and uh i moved at in at how old at like 14 and a half 15 my dad i moved in with my dad and who i didn't really know very well cuz we didn't have a it was like two times a year I, I could go visit him you know like he would his new wife didn't like us kids we interfered in in her agenda and so uh he divorced her and i moved down with my dad and He went to work at 2.30 in the morning and he didn't come home till, you know, eight o'clock at night. He drove to Laguna Beach every day from Palmdale to operate a dozer. And so, I mean, he never he was never home. And so we had free reign in the house. I was newly in high school in a bigger city than where I was from. Well, where I had currently lived, you know, from my grade school years on to the beginning of high school. So I started this new high school Highland High in Palmdale. I made a ton of friends everywhere because my dad was gone so much. My house was the party house like we ditched. I didn't graduate. I didn't graduate high school. I dropped out my 10th grade year because my dad would go to work in the morning. I would pretend to go to school. I'd go there to pick up my friends. And then we'd all come back to my dad's house and we'd party all day. And I mean, we started messing with acid, ecstasy, mushrooms, cocaine. I hit my first rehab at 16. I went to the Phoenix house in Los Angeles, well, San Fernando Valley. And I was there for a year and I got out. A year? One year.
0: So who sent you there? What happened? So obviously your dad became hip to what was happening. How did he like figure out what you were doing? And then was he the one that sent you to rehab?
2: Well, I got scared and ran because, so there's a whole backstory to that. Our house burnt down in 1999. My dad's house did.
0: Okay. From California, like wildfires? That kind well, of- No,
2: no, no, no. Uh, he, he rewired the dryer. And then like the next day, the whole house was up in flames. He had a big home, like a 4,000 square foot home on five acres.
0: Oh, shit.
2: Yeah. And I came home at lunch and the house was, it wasn't gone because it was an old 70s home built like out of, you know, concrete block and all that stuff. So it was just the roof was gone and the windows were blown out. Okay. So we, he ended up telling me that basically, you know, you need to do homeschool. Your sister is living here now. So you need to make sure she makes it to school. He bought me a new car, a Honda, a little Honda Civic. And then he gave me his spare bank card in which, I mean, I was using cocaine and stuff at that point to ecstasy. So they gave my dad like close to under a million dollars for his home and the rebuilding and the fire, the insurance did. And then, um, so he had all this money in his bank account in my mind. So I'm just swiping, oh, swiping the card, swiping the card, $300 a day on my cocaine addiction with my friends and, you know, helping out my friends that were poor, that couldn't afford shoes. I was like, I'm balling. I wasn't balling my dad was balling. It was all insurance money. So my dad went to go pay the contractor the final bill, what he owed the guy. And he was short like 10 grand after a few months. He didn't notice for a few months. I was just racking up the money. And uh, on prom night, he went to my friend's house with a load of gun looking for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Serious shit. I showed up there like an hour later. My buddy Josh says, do not go to your dad's house. He's looking for you. He had his gun in his hand. He's pretty upset. He said, you stole like 10 grand out of his bank account. I was like, shit. So oh, I called shit. I called my mom who lived in Tatchby. I'm like, mommy, I'm scared. I think I need rehab. <laughs> I, I was thinking at this point, I'm thinking I'm going to jail because bank fraud and all you know, whatever. Even though he had given me the spare card, I still I don't know. I got I, I was a kid and I was high and yeah. you know, I didn't go to school. We were just living large like we lived in a hotel for three months, holiday in express. We all had our own rooms. And we all partied and it was just the thing to do. I'm like, my dad was gone at two 30 in the morning. And at this point he's depressed cause he just lost his home. So he's drinking every night in the bar not paying any attention to what we're doing. So that's how I went to my first rehab was cause I stole 10, okay. grand, 10 grand from my dad's bank account. And I even tried to chop it. Cause you know, in your insane high mind, I, just, I was like, well, you didn't pay child support for this many years. So you owed me, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, didn't, that, that shit did not fly.
0: But but like that's legit. That's actually kind of that's like kind of a decent justification. That's
2: I like try, I am an addict and I try any way I can to go get around shit. You know how we manipulate things. <laughs> my dad actually pulled me out. I was supposed to be there a lot longer than a year. I was supposed to be there like a year and a half or till they said I sh- I could go home or I was ready. And my dad showed up and he pulled me out when I was like seventeen. He goes, You ready to come home? I was like, Yeah. Do you know why? No clue. He just Showed up one day and said, "I think you're ready to come home. You've been gone long enough." And so he pulled me out, probably to watch my sister, so he could work. Okay, until yeah. where he didn't have to. My sister's yeah. three years younger than me. She's like my best friend. We raised each other. I mean, she's she's my older sister. If you want to look at it for what it is, she had learning disabilities, and she's you know she became like a paramedic, you know, later on in life. Like so, she, like I look up to her. She's you know, what I mean, I'm I'm the older brother, but I've always been the fuck up. So, you know, in and out of prison, county <laughs> jails and rehabs and her just worrying about me. But yeah, no, my so it was probably to watch her, honestly. Okay. So, after that, I went to my buddy's house and the same girl I was using cocaine with, she goes, "Hey, I left you something under the elephant in the bathroom." And I, and I'm like, "All right, whatever. You know, I'm I'm home, fuck it." So, I went in there and there's this little baby lime and I was like, "Damn, this chintzy bitch. You know, she's trying to not give me. You know, I thought it was coke. I didn't know. And I sniffed it and it was meth. And it was the first time I'd ever sniffed methamphetamine or tried meth. And holy good God, my nose burned from here to heaven. Like it was the craziest thing. I'm like, what did you give me? Are you trying to kill me? And then the high kicked in. And that night I was out in my dad's backyard raking five acres in the moonlight with a landscape rake, straight lines. Straight lines. I ruined that Honda Civic. I took the dash out. I replaced it with another dash from an Acura RSX because I wanted it to be custom. It, I mean, like I took out three hundred bolts. I put back like ten. I had extra bolts. So I thought I did good. Oh no! You know, uh, you shut. The, so like,
0: just like messing around, just, just just tweaking out on your car. That's why you did that. Just Scrap metal
2: just appeared out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> well, well, ten pounds of copper.
2: You know what I mean? Like we're ingenuity. Yeah. So I did meth for, I started, ah, man, I've done meth for 20 years. Well, 25, I, I'm close to 25, I guess. 24, since I was 17, I'll be 41 this year. I've been clean for almost two years. But um, I went from from that to just going hardcore. Like I got involved with some pretty gnarly cats. I was, Then I started going to LA County Jail a lot from Palmdale.
0: I have a question. I have huh. a question. What's up? L.A. County Jail is like really scary, right? It's the fucking worst, man. Okay, so everybody, like I am so glad because I got pulled over a couple of times in L.A. and didn't end up getting arrested. And I don't know what it's like for the women, but I know the Twin Towers for men, the L.A. County Jail. Why is it so bad? Because everybody says that it's just the fucking worst. Like why?
2: Because the cops don't pay attention. It's overcrowded. They put like eight dudes in a four-man cell. The dungeon is a pretty scary place to be. I wasn't an affiliated gang member at the time when I first started doing it. So, you know, that's just scary when you have like, cause I got busted with some guns and some other things. And so I started, I started going to jail and my level, my security level was pretty high. So they didn't let me, I, I didn't get to be a trustee or I didn't get to go to like the regular, like pods. I was in like a two man cell with another dude, you know, and I'm like, shit, I'm like 20 years old at this point, And I don't know anything, you know, then you start to learn the ways of that life. You get comfortable because I did a county lid my first time. I did a, a county year on my first uh, strike for possession of a firearm that belonged to a police officer. Bought some guns off a dude, yeah.
0: How did you get a gun that belonged to a police officer? How did that happen?
2: I was selling dope and and, uh, I met a kid and he was like, hey man, I got these two guns for sale. I was like, cool, I'll give you like 60 bucks in a teener. And he's like, sounds good. And he gave me a shotgun, a Mossberg 12 gauge (laughs) shot shot off shotgun and a a Beretta 9 and I mean like those are the same Guns oh, that that's cops probably carry another cars.
1: charge for it being sawed off, right there. Say that again. That's probably another charge, probably for it being sawed off
2: and shit like that.
0: Is that a charge that for a, being sawed a, off?
2: No, it wasn't sawed off. It was a it was a, a Mossberg twelve gauge eight pump whatever the ones that they carry in the center of their car.
0: But yeah. Sh- okay, oh, okay, okay. 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 Okay.
2: and then, and then a Beretta nine mm which is the ones that they carry on their hip. You know, their street gun. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I bought that shit, and I was at my girlfriend's house the next day, and the police like just swarm the house I was like pouring out my bowl of cereal and I look out and there's all these cops and I run out back I jump in the tree house I didn't know what was going on I thought they were coming to bust me for s- selling drugs I thought my girlfriend's mom called on me or something you know and I'm hiding in the tree house and they come out back and they got their dogs and they're like hey come out of the tree house you know come out we know you're up there and I was like I'm not fucking coming down you're tripping they said, we'll send the dog up. Well, dogs can't climb trees. Well, they can throw it up in the treehouse. I'll tell you that much. So I was like, fuck that. They started pushing them up through the hole. I was like, I'll come down. I'll come down. I'll come down. I came down. and
0: The dog? They were trying to put the dog up in the treehouse?
2: 100%. Oh, my God. I believe.
0: I'm, yeah. I, uh,
2: yeah. So
1: LAPD's wait. LAPD is trifling. Yeah. <laughs> LAPD <for sure>. is.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. So how did they know the guns were at? with you and did the guy tell on you? That sounds
1: like a setup, a straight, like that, that has because there's no, yeah.
2: So the dude, so the dude, uh, his dad was a narcotics officer and his dad was at some police (laughs) convention. (laughs) Yeah, his dad was at some police convention in Vegas for the weekend. He stole his dad's guns and sold them to me for drugs. Oh my gosh. Then told his dad that I robbed their house. And so I got a grand theft charge. I got grand theft firearm. They gave me 16 months with half and then a strike or it was that or I was going to do four years my first term in prison and I was like, I don't want to go to prison. You know, I'm gonna, I'll am i just stay in the county jail. Worst mistake I ever made. I mean, if you see. Everybody I
1: know that's been to LA County, they're like, I would just rather do, just do my time in prison. For just, sure. Just 100%, after Everybody I started
2: doing to... state time, after I started doing state time, I realized that that was the way to go. I might as well catch a charge that's gonna be large enough to go to state prison so I don't get stuck in this shithole doing, you know, cause I went to Wayside a few times out in Valencia. And I mean, that's how I got this. I got jumped by a bunch of Southsiders cause I didn't wanna run their program. You know i got my eyeball my eye socket was all anyway that's a whole nother story but so then after that i i, I started going to rehabs i went to Acton rehab i went to warm springs rehab i got kicked out of actin for fraternizing and with women because it was a co-ed is it then, co-ed
0: there
2: i don't know if it is now but it was back okay. in back in the day okay warm springs is 100 male rehab and so i went there and i met this guy and and he got kicked out his name was Ed Little. He was a journalist for Los Angeles Times. He wrote some books and he wrote like a street in the Los Angeles Times. It was about like being on the streets and stuff. It was just an article about street life and being in the streets. And and I related to that guy real well. He was a really cool dude. He was getting fentanyl suckers shipped in and we were eating those in rehab. And yeah, he got kicked out for that. But uh, I graduated the program. I left. And then I was like, shit, what do I do? Like, my whole family doesn't care, you know what I mean? Like, they cared, but they didn't want, they were sick of my bullshit by then. You know, I'm like 22, 23, in and out of jail, rehabs, just to try to make people think that I was clean. But I was still getting loaded. So my family, they had their guard up, respectfully so. From there, I went up to, that dude moved up to Chico, California, and he he offered me a place to stay. And so I moved up to Chico. I was living up there no different. They were up there tweaking still. And so I was tweaking. I wanted to do good with my life. And I was trying so hard, but it was so hard to get away from the meth because that shit just like consumed me. Like I was a bad, like I I was shooting meth, you know, at this point, my brother is a good friend of mine, Josh. I went to high school with them. He had come back from the army and he, he was living in Sacramento and he offered me his couch. And so I, I moved out to to Sacramento and I lived on his couch and I went to work. This is in 2002. I started doing granite and marble, which is what I currently do now. I started doing that with him. He offered me a job in his couch and I thought I could get clean, but I mean, Sacramento a big area and you start drinking in the bars and partying and then you're gonna find what you're looking for. You know what I mean? Like yeah. game recognized game, right? Like you could walk into anywhere and be like, you're a tweaker. I know I can get dope off you if you're tweaking, totally. right? So I did that and I found the drugs and then I ended up burning Josh and, you know, and fucking my job off up, up there. I was in a work truck on Labor Day weekend up in Folsom and we got pulled over cause I didn't have my seatbelt on. And uh, the cop was like, hey man, let me check out your tattoos. And I've got, you know, a big eye Odin on my back. And and he lifted my shirt up and he's like, Los Angeles County is looking for you. you. You've absconded your probation for two years and they want you. So I, I had to ride a bus all the way from Sacramento back down to LA, went back to jail for like four months, lost my job, my place to stay up in Sacramento. And uh, did just, you
0: know you were absconding from probation? Did you know oh yeah, you were on probation? Yeah, 100%. I was oh, just did? like, okay. fuck the
2: system, you know. I, I was on drugs. Okay. I wasn't going to report and drug test for anybody <laughs> because I knew I was high. And so I wasn't willing to even try to make that, take that risk. You know what I mean? I just fucking find me. I'm up right. in Sacramento. I'm like, you know, so far away. And I figured as long as I... Had no, as long as I had no interaction with police and I was trying to do the right thing, I figured it would be all right. Well, I got busted. I mean, it's not if it's when, when you live in that life, right? It's not if you fall, it's when you fall. So I went, I lost everything up there. I didn't have a whole lot, but I lost what I did have. And I went back to jail and then I got out. I was living with my dad for a little bit and then I was using more and then he kicked me back out. Didn't want nothing to do with me. I was running around the streets out there in Quartz Hill Lancaster Palmdale and then I was going back and forth to Tehachapi to Bakersfield and I was taking drugs from you know one county to the next because one county couldn't get drugs and one county could Kern County is like a, Tehachapi is the mountains of Bakersfield so you either had to go to Bakersfield or Palmdale to get your dough at a decent price so I was trying to be the man you know how everybody is when they're getting high well, not everybody but a lot of people want to be the the guy, you know, the guy that sells the dope because then you can use for free and you know you obtain friends so you think and so I was doing that and I ended up getting involved with this gun deal with some people that had just gotten out of prison. One guy had just done 20 years and one guy had just done 15 and they were pretty hardcore dudes. This dude I was with that helped me do the gun deal, he stole a bulletproof vest out of the whole deal. There was like, you know, some handguns and some assault rifles and some bulletproof vests. Well, one of the vests came up missing because it was my thing with these guys. They set me up and I got kidnapped. One of my really good friends set me up, asked me for some drugs. She showed up where I was at. And as soon as I got in the car, I felt like I shouldn't be here right now. You know, like as you're driving away, the doors lock. And I'm like, I definitely shouldn't be here. And it was my gut feeling telling me to get the fuck out. Oh
0: you know? shit.
2: But I didn't. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. it's it's just homegirl. You know, I've known her forever. She's not going to do nothing to me. You know, I, I just felt something was off. We get to her yeah. apartment. We go upstairs and I'm breaking some drugs out of my shoes. So, of course, naturally, I lock the door, right? Who doesn't lock doors when they're tweaking? Like, I don't want nobody walking in. And I noticed it was weird. She walked behind me and unlocked the door. And I was like, that's fucking weird.
0: Oh my God.
2: Like two minutes later, these two dudes come busting in and they fucked me up, man. They beat the shit out of me. Oh and they my cut God. my hair. They burnt me with hot, uh, hot spoons in a few places off the oven. They took pictures, like humiliating shit. And then they threw me in a trunk and they drove me out to this, uh, it was like an old barn that they turned in, some tweakers turned into an auto repair shop, you know, or like a probably even (laughs) a chop shop or whatever. And they beat the shit out of me for two fucking days. And like, I was sitting on a chair, like a bar stool with my hands tied behind my back and they were throwing socket wrenches at me from across the room. And like, I just had to take it, man. My face was like a bloody pulp. My nose was broken a few Holy different places.
0: Holy
2: And the two dudes that, that had done this to me, they were going to kill me. They already had a, well, to my understanding, because by the grace of God, this guy walks in, I can't say his name, but... He was one of my good friends growing up, older brother, and that was his tweaker barn. And I didn't know that. I didn't know where I was at because I was, you know, blindfolded and all that shit taken out there and in a trunk. Nor would I have known that I had never been there before. But he walks in and he goes, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like, just bleeding and just fucked up and... He goes, no, 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 you let this dude go. You know, I was, his little brother's like one of his little brothers, good friends all through high school. And so he's like, nope, not here, not happening here. You guys are fucking tripping. And he goes, go get my car. So I went and I got in his car and he comes out and he's driving me. He goes, where do you need to go? And I go, I don't fucking care anywhere but here. And he goes, you know, they were going to kill you today. If I didn't show up, you were dead. (gasps) He was like, that guy did 20 years. That guy did 15 years and they weren't going back on a kidnapping charge.
0: Oh my God. So... What were you thinking while that was happening for the two days? Did you think you were going to die? Like, what were you thinking?
2: Probably everything at that point. I didn't know where I was, what was happening. I recognized a few people that were in the room because there was more than five or six people that showed up, you know, at a time, you know, there was like the main group of a few guys. And then, then there was people that would just show up, pop in, get high, bounce, laugh at me. You know what I mean? It was a humiliating, super humiliating experience. Like. There was probably 15 or 20 people the whole time I was there that came in and saw what was going on and then just left type thing.
0: I can't believe no one helped you.
2: Why would they? These guys were they, pretty solid. They would get the same shit though. You know
0: yeah, what I mean? No, but yeah. I'm just end up in the same right spot. now. Yeah, I know. I mean, okay. I'm just thinking me right now. When I was using, if I had landed somewhere and he was in that bad a shape. But I mean, what do you, you can't call the fucking cops cause then people will kill you. But like, you, you I don't know. Dude. That thing aff-
1: you can do that
0: would have affected me to my soul if I had seen you tied up and I just walked away and did nothing. Now I was in an apartment once where the guy was kind of the owner of the apartment was being like held hostage in the back kind of, but they weren't beating him up or anything. We just needed to stay there. So we'd kind of like taken over his apartment and would have let him leave. But like, not that that's any better, I mean, it was kidnapping, but like, holy shit, how long ago was this that this happened? How many years ago was this?
2: This was two thousand and five.
0: Oh my god. So you didn't even get clean then?
2: Oh, fuck no. I just went harder.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so, and, and you didn't go to the hospital?
2: No, no, because then you'd have to report it to the police department. The cops show up when shit like that happens because they want to know who and why and how. And nah, man, I didn't go to the hospital. I didn't, I didn't.
1: That's why like a lot of people like on the streets that like where they like, they got shot. Like he got shot. He didn't go like, you just don't go. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, I mean, I I guess I know that obviously I remember that. I think I avoided getting kidnapped once because, well, you know, it doesn't matter. So anyways, you didn't go to the hospital. And then where did you go from there?
2: I got out of that. Well, and the funny thing is, is this guy, as I get in his car, he goes, well, you want to get high? And he gets me high. And so now I'm off in La La Land and I'm back out running the streets. I mean, I, I didn't even have anywhere to really go at that point because I had burned a lot of my bridges. I was a thief. I was a liar. You know, I was a drug addict to the fullest. I'm shooting dope. You know, I put myself in that situation is how I looked at it. Like I should have never, like, what normal fucking person gets involved in a gun deal with drug addicts? Like, you know what I mean? So.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So
2: from there, I I bounced town and I went up to Tehachapi, back up to Tehachapi. And then I was getting high up there, running around with some guys. And then, uh, and then I moved to Oildale, California, the shithole of the earth. If, Nate, you know Bakersfield. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Bakersfield's fucking. Have you ever heard of Oildale?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was living there,
2: man, running amok out there with a bunch of crazy fucking dudes. I went to prison in the middle of all this. I was running around with a guy and, uh, I had just had my daughter, my ex, Brooke. I'd met Brooke in 2007, and we had my daughter in 2010. I was getting high this whole time, just running amok from town to town and back and forth. And then when I had my daughter, we were living together. So I kind of stuck around in Bakersfield. We were, you know, And then we split up, and I, I moved into Oildale, and I started getting high. And I got kicked out of where I was at because I was getting high. And I was, I was in a hotel out there, in some shitty hotel, tattooing for dope or whatever, you know, what I mean, like, I, I was just so high out of my mind that I, I ran into a guy I knew from Tehachapi. And he goes, I can't let you live here like this, bro. Come on, come to my house. So I'm like, I go to his house. And literally, I didn't know he was out robbing fucking houses. And the cops were watching his house and all the all the things and again, yeah, and so I'm there for a few weeks. And I, I'll never forget, man, him and this guy, three o'clock in the morning come pulling into his house and his little Honda CRX. And there was like a, it was in an apartment complex, but like you had to drive down this big driveway to get to the garages and these fucking guys had a slot machine they stole out of somebody's house and they're holding it on the hood of the car or I'm not sure, the roof or the hood. I'm guessing the hood, like hanging out, holding it while they're driving and they hit the bump and the fucking slot machine flies off and all the change goes everywhere at like three in the morning. And I was like, this <laughs> sounds like some Bakersfield shit off the rip. 100% bro. And I'm like, and it this
0: sounds like some Bakersfield shit for- off the rip already. <laughs> right? <laughs> so
2: bad. And I'm like, we're so busted. You guys are fucking ruining everything. Like y- you guys are a burn. You know, shit. So- <laughs> (laughs) Like, I end up helping my, he gets evicted over a bunch of different things, similar actions to that. And he's like, will you help me move out? So we get a U-Haul and uh, we load up all his shit. We put it in storage and then we drive the U-Haul down to Palmdale to go get some dope. And it's got not very much stuff in it. Well, we ended up getting the U-Haul stuck. You can Google this. We ended up getting a U Haul stuck in the middle of two like million dollar homes because I was like, whoa, fuck, we can't be out on the streets. Like we're tweaking, you know, Uh, we can't be on the streets in this thing at two, three in the morning. Like we need to park. I'm like, I know the perfect place by my dad's old house. So we pull down this area and I pull in in an empty lot. Well, it was kind of had rained a little bit before. And so the U Haul sunk to the ground and we got stuck. And my buddy gets out. Oh, shit. My buddy gets out and cuts the neighbor's fence and goes into his garage, I guess. He told me he was going to find a shovel, but he really came back with old copper wire. Uh, tweaker shit you know he's got i just popped the fucking <laughs> wire and i'm like bro that's cool how are we gonna get out of this thing you know what i mean i'm freaking out we're trying to put bushes under the tires but it was so soft a dirt that we sunk this like 30 foot u-haul to the frame so
0: oh my god
2: yeah no right so
0: oh my god i'm <laughs> trying
2: to figure out how to get us out and he's bringing stolen copper wire and throwing it in the back i was like at a certain point i was like we're so fucking busted like i'm already out on and I'm like running from the running from a bondsman into Hatchby, and I'm like, so I did a big shot of dope while he was out looking for another shovel. <laughs> <a> <laughs> Going to see yeah, a man yeah, about a dog. You know, I was like, <laughs> you no, know, so trip on this. So I do this big shot of dope, and I go out from it, like not heroin but meth. I hadn't touched heroin yet. I do this big shot of dope, and I fall out from overamping, and I oh, wake yeah. up, and there's this dog by, dog by my door, this little dog I'd never seen before, and he's like. Barking, and then there's this old man, and he's like, "You cut my fucking fence,
0: nope.
2: <laughs> and you stole." And I was like, "I was like, wait, 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 what? Hold on, we can figure this out." And he goes, "The sheriffs are already on their way." And then here comes my buddy in the back. Good morning, sir. We got our truck stuck. Do you think you can use your loader to help us get it out? He <laughs> asked the guy who he just robbed for help with his fucking loader to pull us out
1: oh of my being God. stuck.
2: You know, I mean? cops oh show up at some point. The whole I go to jail, I catch a prison term. I actually took the whole thing. Like this dude's like, I can't go to prison, bro. I got kids and I'm like, fuck it, I'll take it. You know what I mean? I already had a record and so, and I had known the dude for quite some time. I, I don't know. It was one of those things, it was either we fight it and go to trial or I take it and I catch a couple years and, and whatever. And so, and honestly the fact that when we went to our arraignment and the guy came in and he sat down, he had a Korean veteran hat on and he was an old man. And he reminded me of my grandfather and I was like, I can't put this old man through through this. That's fucked up. He did nothing wrong. Why should he have to come to court every day and fight for his rights? Or, you know what I mean? We fucked him over. So I just flat out right then I said, I'll just take it. Whatever. I did it. I'm guilty. You know, I pled guilty and they they charged me and I and I did like three years, eight months or something like that in the end
0: the person that you robbed showed up and he was a veteran of a war and you said i don't want to make that dude go to trial
2: yeah my my grandfather's a a veteran he's a korean war vet and uh he's the sweetest man i've ever met in my life and i wouldn't do anything to hurt my grandfather and i would hope that You know, if somebody did that to my grandfather, they would take the time too because he didn't deserve it. That old man didn't deserve it, and he he even told the court that I was the nicest person. He's like, oh, he was a very nice young man when he spoke to me. I was like, dude, I was so high. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was just trying to get out of it. I'm trying to to talk my way out of it. So I did. I went to. I did hit a few different prisons in California. I ended up going to fire camp in the end. Yeah, we're getting high in there. We're getting drops of meth and heroin and needles and cell phones and weed, and it was so easy. Then when you meet up with other fire, other camps in California from fire crews, then you just kind of pat. You got heroin, I got meth. Let's trade. You know, when you're out on fires and stuff, and you're out fighting fires, high as fuck. I mean, I got out. I went to prison a non-addict. A non heroin addict, you know, I had never tried heroin. I did heroin the first time on my birthday, 2011. I shot it in a cell with my cellie because we were shooting meth. But I was like, this shit sucks because you can only like, what are you gonna, you can't only wax your cell so many times, you know? Right. What I mean, like you can't do <laughs> you can't do a whole lot in there when you're high on meth. Like I'm a doer when I'm, you know, I want to go like you said, steal copper wire and do the things and change cars out and. <laughs> But I, could, I couldn't do all that. Like I was stuck in this little cell. So he goes, I got something for you. And, and he gave me a shot of heroin and it was off to the races from there. Okay. As much heroin as I could get. The paisas in, in California jails have all the good heroin, you know, and I didn't mean? those guys and they're willing to work with you for soups or phone time or, what, you know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. And so I, I stayed high. I got out. I moved in with my sister in Bakersfield. I was on parole. I was supposed to be on five years high risk felony parole. And my parole agent let me off after one year because i came in and i tested clean because i used those drinks Oh, yeah. He always gave me like a, uh, he always gave me like a two day heads up. Hey, you know you're going to be testing in a few days. You know.
0: Okay, hold on. I have a few questions. So one, those drinks yeah, work? The yeah. detox drinks.
2: One hundred percent, if you follow the directions. If you drink the drink and then you're supposed to drink the whole drink with it before an hour before testing, and then fill that bottle up with water and drink that bottle of water, and then you're supposed to pee one time before you go pee for the officer, because then you're peeing out all the toxins out, uh, whatever. Not, the first and one. Then the second yeah. is. Yeah, the first one, you pee out all the regular pee. And the second one, you're just peeing out the drink, really, and the water.
0: So my other question is this, just because I'm curious. You said you did it for the first time on your birthday. What's your birthday?
2: October 20th.
0: Okay, I don't know why I wanted to know that. I just 19, and 1982,
2: then... I'm a Libra. I paroled December 3rd, 2013. And I moved in with my sister. And like I said, I was doing the probation thing or the parole thing. I got a job building gas stations with my brother-in-law. We were smoking all sorts of weed. And I started getting back into meth because it's just everywhere out there. I've got crowds, you know, circles of people in all these different cities. And I could totally go find it if I want it. And I wanted it. So I started getting high, but my parole officer let me off. He called me one day and he goes, Hey, you know, Rackus hits you're off. Or he goes, you're done. And I was like, well, I hope you got your running shoes on it, bud. Cause I told you I'm not going to come easy this time. And he's like, no, you're fucking dense, dude. You're done. I'm letting you off. And I was like, Oh, for real. You know what I mean? And he's like, <laughs> I said, do I got to come down there? Cause this seems like a trick to me. You know, I was high and I didn't want to go see him. And, uh, <laughs> He's like, no, I'll just mail you the stuff so you know that I'm not fucking with you. And I was like, cool. And he goes, you know, take off, go find your daughter. My daughter had moved out of state when I was in prison. My ex moved my daughter to Wyoming. And um, that was my number one goal at that time was like to find my kid. Well, my number one goal was getting high. Let's just keep it real. But like my number two goal was to be where my daughter was because I mean, I went away. I went to prison when she was 16 months old. I've seen her once since that was when I got out of prison. I haven't seen her in almost nine years. At this point, we talked about how old is she now? She just turned 13th on 7 Eleven. So then uh, I met a girl and I moved in with her because I'm codependent as fuck, being an addict. And, uh, she was like an oil field chick, made all sorts of money and, and I didn't really have to do shit. Like she wanted to take care of me. And I was like, word, this is cool. Like I'm not used to this kind of shit. And so she brought home good money and I spent that money real fast on drugs. And while she was at work, I had all the homies at the house. We were getting high. She wasn't digging that no more. And she said, Hey, I'm moving to Arizona. Either you're going to come or you're not. I'm going to leave you here in oil Dale. And I was like, you know, that was a tough decision. I got in the car and I left. I went with her. We moved to uh, a little town in Arizona called Williams and I found the meth there just as easy. I actually found a guy that had worked for a restaurant out there that his family owned a restaurant there and he was from Palmdale. And I was like, oh, word, we connect because we're from the same city, you know? And he was like, well, I go get my stuff every week. And so we became friends that way and I started getting high there. I burnt every bridge in that town getting high. I took a job in Bozeman, Montana, doing granite marble, and we moved there. We lived in a hotel. That was a fucking train wreck. I got high there the whole time. I was using heroin and meth at that time, you know, same time, because I, I, I wouldn't use, necessarily, I wouldn't use heroin if I didn't have meth with it. Speedball. Okay. everything.
0: Okay, yeah.
2: I just liked the feeling, I, you know, I, I was chasing something more. And I could never quite catch it, but what I was doing was, it worked for me at the time. Those people at that granite shop were like, dude, you're a junkie. Get the fuck out of here. And I was like, damn, I just moved all the way to Bozeman, Montana in the middle of fucking, you know, I I know nobody out here, but I burnt my bridge there. They could tell I was a tweaker and uh, they let me go. And we didn't know what to do for money. So we drove up to Cody, Wyoming, which was only three hours away. And my daughter, that's where my daughter lived. I was like, damn, she's only Tegan's only three hours away. We're going there. And so we drove up there. I found, I quickly found a job framing houses. We got an apartment. Then I met the right people again up there, you know, the inner circle of the dark side, so to speak. And I started getting high up there. Stuck up there for six months because I got in a bar fight. And as soon as I got off probation, I was like, fuck this place. I'm out, you know, and I bounced because my ex wouldn't let me see my daughter. And that was more fuel for her to not let me see my daughter. Look, he's violent, you know, like he got in a bar fight. It's in it's all over the you know, it's in the newspapers there and not really in the newspapers, but on like the jail rosters. And she she saw me on the jail roster and she's like, nope, you're not seeing your daughter. So I got super depressed and I went into a deeper dive into my addiction. I was using more and more often like, you know, like I was just shooting as much as I could a day. I have
0: a question. Did you ever think during this time, I'm an addict, I need to stop, I need to get clean, what should I do? Or did you not even think that way and just think about continuing to use? Or were there periods of time where you were like, this is really out of control, I need to try to stop?
2: There was moments of clarity, few and far in between. It was probably during a come down when I was depressed or something, you know, but like for the most part, when I was high, I was high and I was staying high. I was doing whatever I could to stay high. I was a fucking dirtbag, you know? So I left Cody and I moved to Rock Springs, Wyoming, which is the town of strippers and coal miners. It's like another small town of like 5,000 people, but there's like two massive strip clubs in this little town. And all these girls come from Salt Lake. And so there's tons of drugs and if you want to live that life. And I was like, cool, I'm going to live that life out here too. You know, you always find what you're looking for if you if you totally.
0: want Totally. How does dope get to the middle of the country? How does heroin make its way to fucking Montana? 55 and 80. Is that the highways? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 100%. But is there the same yep. amount out there? I wouldn't think heroin would make its way all the way out there. It's in
1: Tennessee. I mean, it I makes think- it all across the country. Yeah, but Tennessee is near a coast.
2: I really couldn't ahead, tell you as far as like- Niceing out here of what stuff is because I don't know. I, I moved out here and I got clean. I left Rock Springs because I was I was sleeping with my boss's daughter and they got super pissed about that. She was an addict and I was an addict and they told me to stay away from her and she was a stripper and I didn't. Stay. You can't tell me that kind of thing and then expect for me not to be interested in what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like I hadn't even, I hadn't even met the girl yet and they were like, "Hey, don't even look at my daughter." And then they're like, "Oh, by the way, my daughter's here." And I'm like. Oh, you know, they told me all these things. They told me she's an addict. They told me she's a stripper, and I'm like all the things I love, right? You know. And And so I met her, and we started messing around. And her parents got super upset. And they were the owners of this granite shop, and super great people. They did a lot for me, and I just kind of fucked them over too, not once but twice. But they're still actually good friends of mine, and I'm thankful for that. They saw past the bullshit. I made my amends on that, but I moved from there. And my dad was like, you know, why don't you move back down here and I'll help you out. You know, you seem like you're trying to do good. I I, I had a good game. I, I got a mouthpiece. I can talk. You know, I can get my shit if I want. I can get in, you know, I can get in where I fit in. And if I thought I needed to be with my parents or if I needed something, it was always when I needed something is when I contacted people, you know, typical addict behavior. I don't I don't want to talk to you otherwise, unless I need something from you. And my dad was like, yeah, come back down. We can build you a little apartment in the back of my property and you can stay there and and get your shit together and I'll help you get your shit together. Like we'll we'll get you a bank account and help you get a vehicle that runs better. And I was like, cool, man. And I, that was my in and I moved down there with him and, uh, I started to do good for a little bit. And then, uh, I just met the wrong southern utah there's a lot of heroin addicts out there man that, that place is i mean it is just full of, of opiate addicts you would never think because it's a mormon community you know a hugely yeah. mormon community like i was i mean i was completely out of place there like i'm tattooed from head to toe Well, oh, not head to toe but from my chest down and and i did not fit in there and did you know what i mean like i just I found where I fit in there, and that was in the drug community, druggy community, and the convict community, and stuff like that, the biker community. And I started really using heroin pretty bad there. I was using meth more and heroin just a little. And then, um, this is a pretty crazy story that I wanted to share. It's kind of a tipping point in my life. I was working two jobs. I was building snowboards for Humanity Snowboard Company, and I was doing granite and marble running CNC equipment during the day, and then doing that snowboard thing at night working on their CNC equipment. And um, I was doing a side job for a guy down the road. I was putting rocks facing the outside of his house with, river, with the big boulders that are out there in the, in the fields out there. It's just like lava rock. And so it was an eight bedroom bed and breakfast, and I was I was putting all the you know refacing half halfway up all the way around with mortar and sticking the rocks to the wall, and I didn't know what I was doing. I told him I did. Turned out nice. I don't know if anything's <laughs> fallen off since, but it didn't. <laughs> it, and I had been on that job for like two months because it I was doing it by myself, and I'd go there at the end of every night, and I'd set up a spotlight. And I'd mix one or two bags of mortar and stick up a few rocks and then go home. My dad's house was just down the street. But at this time, we lived by Zion National Park. My dad's house is not too far from there. And uh, it's actually in a town called Tokerville. Perfect for me. Uh, you know. <laughs> and, and they were redoing the roads from the freeway to Zion. And there was uh, a group of road guys that were there for like three months. Well, the guy that was holding the stop sign was always in, right in front of my dad's house. 'Cause that's where they stopped and started the traffic. And um, my dad was like, Hey man, stay hydrated. It's June, you know, or whatever, it's middle of summer. He was giving the guy waters and Gatorades and stuff. And my dad and a guy made friends, and he said he was from Moab, Utah, and didn't know anybody and was, you know, like looking to make friends. And so my dad's like, Well, my son, he's got this side job he might need some help with. You know, if you see him out here, talk to him. So this guy approaches me and I'm like Not really, bro, I don't got the money to spend on, I'm way too far into this job, I can't afford to pay somebody. And he's like, I'll mix your mud for a hundred bucks a week, just so I'm not sitting in a hotel room bored. And I was like, solid, all right, let's run that. So he shows up, he works for me for two weeks, we're getting high on, I'm getting high on meth, dabs, fucking mushrooms, all the things. He asked me if I know any chicks. I was like, I know this girl down the road and she's a pretty free spirit, she might totally dig you, you know? And so I send him over there to drop off a bag of weed she calls me and she's like, yeah, I'm I'm into it. You know, he's cute. I'll totally, you know, hang out with the guy because I'd kind of set it up that way. And he comes back and he goes, yeah, I got a date with so-and-so tomorrow night. And I'm like, awesome, dude, that's cool. Well, the following night they go out and they party and then the next day from that, I don't hear from him, I don't hear from her, I don't hear from him, I don't hear from her for like two or three days. Now I've got her family, you know, people that I know that she knows is calling me going, hey, where's where's Liz? And I'm like, I don't know, bro, she's with your boy. I'm like, he's not my boy, I just kind of know, you know what I mean? Well, you vouched for him, like, where are they at? Two weeks later, they find her dead in her apartment with her neck. He stabbed her like 18 times in the right side of the neck and like 16 in the left and decapitated her basically, minus her. Her neck right here. And then he threw her Holy in her bathtub. Shit. He threw her in her bathtub and covered her with couch cushions and left and just left her there. And it was the middle of summer in southern Utah, 100 hundred degrees. She sat in there for two weeks. The, the maintenance guy smelt something funny and went inside and found her dead, obviously. Oh my
0: um, god. I, and I, he I just like left so- town.
2: He went to Vegas. He took his work truck, went to Vegas, crashed his work truck on the way to Vegas, hopped on a bus, went back to where he was living up in Moab at his grandma's and uh, sat there. And I got a hold of him. Like, this is before we knew she was dead. I'm like calling him. like, where the fuck is Liz? Where the fuck is Liz? And he said, I didn't fucking kill her, bro. And I was like, (gasps) you fucking killed her? Like he told me like basically, and nobody knew she was dead yet. Like nobody knew where she was. Oh my God. She was a drug addict too so you know drug addicts spin off and disappear but she had an apartment and two kids and i took that super personal like i felt really responsible for vouching for somebody i didn't really know for somebody that i did know that had children that i know man i went off the deep end i went really really dark i was shooting half a gram at a time of heroin half a gram of meth at a time same time you know what i mean doing crazy speedballs. i was i lived that life for up until you know recently like i was in utah for a while and uh I think I texted you on 711 and I said, "You know, crazy thing about today is today I was dead in a hotel room."